last time that you read something or perhaps you heard a story that simply blew your mind. I mean, you read this book or, or you read this article or you read something that just totally captivated you from start to finish. Uh, maybe it was a, a new concept you had never really thought about before or perhaps it was uh, some very uh, famous or hit book series that you had just finally gotten your hands on and, and, and you could not stop. It, it, it set within you a, a passion and a fire uh, that you could not put it down. You know, that doesn't happen to me with books much. Uh, but growing up, uh, Kim Collins, quit shaking your head, no, your teacher, we get it. Um, but when, 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 when I think about growing up, we had this thing called AR points, accelerated reading points. And we had to get these amounts, a certain amount of points uh, in order to go to kite day or in order to go to field day. I'm like, this is just, this is terrible. What, I, I want to fly a kite. You know, I watched Mary Poppins. She's flying a kite. I can do it too. I don't have to read about it, right? But no, we had to read these books, we had to get these AR points, and we had to, you know, do all the things the little teacher said, make us smart, right? I'm kidding. Reading's important, right? Reading's very important. Kids, don't take that away. Harper, close your ears. Reading's important, but I just simply could not meet the requirements of the AR points like other students could. See, when I was going through school, about each year or so, a new Harry Potter book came through, and that was 30, 40, 50 AR points. I'm not reading that. You know, I, I, I cannot have the uh, uh, focus, attention span to, to make it all the way to the end at that time. Plus, I was more of a Lord of the Rings guy, right? So anyway, I never could reach the AR points easy, as easily as other students could. I was a great reader. Uh, great vocabulary. I just didn't like the idea of being forced. Didn't like the idea of, of being told, you need to read this because it is great. No, it's not. Not always. I don't care about Lord of the Flies, you know. And so I just struggle with AR points. And so that all happened uh, for many years. And then I stumbled upon uh, this great section of the library. Where, where you could just accumulate a lot of points with very little effort. This is when I discovered the sports section of our school library. I don't know if, if any of you know this set of books. It's not a new set of books. It was an older set of books. But it was, I, I think the title of it was Sports Great. And then it had the title of the athlete. So it was off the top, it said, sports great, and then it said, Dominique Wilkins, or sports great Larry Bird. And it was just a, a tall book, and it was about that thin, and you could get a solid 10 points per book. And I could just kill that line of books, that like that. And it was amazing to me, because as I would read these books, it was something new every single time I picked up a book. I was very little, but I, I loved these books because this was real life. Someone really did this. This is called nonfiction, to those of you who don't like to read. I liked nonfiction books because it was real. Someone actually did this or someone actually did that. And when I would read about these athletes, it would be amazing to me the, the, the feats that they would accomplish. The first one I read was about Dominique Wilkins. And in that book, it tells this great story about his first uh, uh, game against Larry Bird and, and how great he did in the battle that happened there. And so then I inevitably was like, well, then i got to read about Larry Bird. And I went and got, got his book, and I read his book. And in that book, it talked about Magic Johnson. Oh, i got to go read about Magic Johnson. And it talked about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Go, and so it goes on and on. And very quickly... I met that AR requirement. Have you ever had a, a series of books like that 
that no matter how many you read or how many times you read it perhaps, you simply could not get enough. How many times has that happened in your life? So when we think about reading books, perhaps we don't get that much joy. Perhaps we don't have the time. Perhaps we don't have the patience to read certain books or certain series of books. But tonight I want to ask us a question to all think about. When was the last time you felt that way about God's Word? When was the last time that, that, that you simply could not get enough of God's Word? When was the last time you read God's Word and, and, and as you were reading it, you simply could not believe the words that were on the page? You, you, it blew your mind away how, how great our God is, how wonderful the miracles you were reading were, uh, and, and, and the vivid imagery that exists in, in, all of the God, in, in, in all of God's Word. When was the last time that you, that you had that same passion and, and you burned with that passion about God's Word? When was the last time that you were that captivated by God's Word? When was the last time you felt like you just couldn't put it down? I want you to hold that thought for a moment as I introduce what we're going to be talking about for the remainder of this year on Sunday nights. When coronavirus came and the pandemic came, uh, we started what we called Ministers of the Roundtable. We took different time to, to have a panel discussion. All of you know this. Well, then we also added sermon series as well. And so we've gone through, I think, 10 different subjects or 10 different studies, uh, vast, very many different Sunday nights, and we're starting a new one tonight. We're starting a new studies that, that is going to last throughout the rest of this year. And tonight we're starting a study on what I believe to be one of the greatest books in all the Bible. One of the greatest books in all of the Bible, I, I believe, is what we are going to be talking about the remainder of this year. And that book is the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms. For the remainder of this year, we're going to have sermons each night on a different psalm. And Psalm is such, it's such an interesting book to me. And maybe that's because there are 150 chapters. And so it's such a long book. There's, there's so many different parts of it, so many different things about it that you can love. Perhaps it's because this book is, is so often quoted throughout the New Testament. It's the most quoted Old Testament book that we can find in the New Testament. And so obviously that leads some, some, some importance to it. Perhaps we have certain feelings about the Psalms because we can relate to the Psalms so closely. But when we look at the book of Psalms, we know that it's not all one author. There's not one author that can just claim all of these Psalms. We want to think it's all by David. Newsflash, David didn't write all the Psalms. There were other authors. There were authors that we don't know who they were. There were authors like Moses. Did you know Moses wrote a Psalm? So when we look at the book of Psalms, there's a lot of interesting things about it. There's a lot of things we may not have known before. But to me, that's not what, that's not what interests me. That's, that's not what blows me away about the book of Psalms. To me, what's so amazing about the book of Psalms is that this book teaches us how to communicate with God, in my opinion, better than any other book in the Bible. We can learn about how to communicate with God better through the book of Psalms than, in my opinion, any other book of the Bible. Why is that, Ben? Well, because, in my opinion, the book of Psalms gives us a, a healthy example of how to talk to God. It could be a song. It could be a prayer. It, it, 
It could be whatever the case might be, but every single author is either talking to God or talking about God or talking about their relationship with Him. And so when we look at the book of Psalms, there, there is no other book that has as high of highs. And there's also no other book that has as low of lows when it comes to the book of Psalms. Sometimes we read a psalm of praise. A psalm praising God for how amazing He is. And then immediately after that, we read a psalm of lament about how hard this life is, about how destitute they are spiritually, physically, mentally, whatever the case might be. And then right after that song, that psalm of lament, we read a psalm of thanksgiving, giving thanks to God for His, his greatness and, and his, his providential care for them. And then immediately after that psalm of thanksgiving, we see another psalm of trial. And here we see this highest of highs and lowest of lows. But when we look at the book of Psalms, we also have to realize that since there's not one author that wrote all the Psalms, that means each Psalm has its own identity. Each Psalm is written by a different author for a different purpose, for a different audience. And so every single time you go to a new Psalm, you've got to investigate that to get the full, true meaning behind it. Because if David writes a Psalm, you can understand his background of where he's coming from and his life and all the things that he had gone through and, and how he's the man after God's own heart. But if it's not David, you, you, you can't have that same context when you look at the other psalm. And when you look at the book of Psalms, sometimes it's a little daunting to say we're going to study the book of Psalms. Some of you are thinking, for the next 150 Sunday nights, we are going to be in the book. No, we're not going to do every single psalm, okay? I, I don't want to scare you. We're going to select certain psalms the way we did with the parables. And we're going to take a different psalm each night for a couple of months. But when it comes to the book of Psalms, I think hopefully by the end of it, we can better understand the relationship that God craves with His children. Because when we read the Psalms, we learn that God desperately wants praise from us. God wants our gratitude to Him. God wants our worship to Him. And we're going to find that all throughout the Psalms. But you know what else we're going to find throughout the Psalms? We're going to find that God is okay when we are going through trials. It's okay to tell God you are having a hard time getting through this life. The book of Psalms teaches us that it is okay to ask God questions. It is okay to ask God, why is this happening to me? Why, why am I experiencing so much pain, so much suffering? Why is this happening? We see in the book of Psalms that it's okay to communicate with God like that. And that's why I love the book of Psalms. Because we learn how to communicate with our Father better. With that, let's go ahead and get into our study tonight. To me, if we're going to start studying the book of Psalms, it makes sense to start with Psalm 1. That's the psalm I've chosen for tonight. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 1, where we're going to begin our study tonight. As you turn there, you're going to very quickly realize that there is no author indicated with this psalm. Most of the psalm have, have, have a line on the top of it that say, a psalm of. Psalm of David, psalm of Moses, psalm of Asaph, psalm of uh, the sons of Korah, whatever the case might be. But this one tonight in Psalm chapter 1 has no definitive author. And so that automatically tells us what? It's going to be a little difficult to get some context of this psalm. We always want to get the context, to get the full grasp and the understanding of what it is we're reading. Well, tonight, when we look at this psalm, we don't have a, a definitive author. 
which means we don't have a definitive time frame, a date in which this was written. We don't have a definitive audience that we could talk about. That's just not the case with Psalm 1 as it is with other psalms. And since there is no indication of these things, it could be a little bit difficult for us to understand the original audience's understanding the way we will be able to with other psalms. But as we say that, I don't want to detract from the first book, from the first chapter of the book of Psalms, because scholars have agreed that this could be the perfect beginning to this book. It sets the tone for what will come next all throughout the rest of this book. It sets a great tone of, of what is important to this book, what is of the utmost importance throughout this book. We find that in Psalm chapter 1. It's so simple to understand and so challenging at the same time. That's what's so great about the book of Psalms. It's so real, it's so practical for us to understand because we have felt the way the people who are writing have felt or are, are, are feeling when they write it. We have felt like that before. We have felt at the top of the mountaintops and we have felt at the lowest of valleys. All of us have been there. And that's what's so great about this book. Let's go ahead and read verse 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks in, not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates both day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does, he shall prosper. Blessed is the man. You know, when I read that line, and, and, and when I look at that, it's hard for me not to think about the Sermon on the Mount. How does each beatitude start in the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who, are more, who, are, who, who mourn. The similarity there, it could be easily said about the beginning of our psalm tonight, the same thing that we've said for years and years about the Sermon on the Mount. When we see that word blessed, blessed, the translation could better be described as happy. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who, who are poor in spirit. Happy are those who are meek. And when we read that in the Sermon on the Mount, we, we automatically have this idea that this doesn't make sense. How can those who are mourning be happy? Well, it's the same thing with our text tonight. How can the people who do this be happy? That's how we sometimes look at the walk with God. That those who are outside of, of, of Christ, those who are outside of the church, those we're not chained to this book or have to be living a happier life than I am. Sometimes we can think that way. But the text continues, happy is the man, blessed is the man who what? He gives three different things that this blessed man does not do. Basically, to sum it up, Happy is the man who does not live in ungodliness. Happy is that man. Blessed is that man. Look at the three things he says this happy, this blessed man does not do. This blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. This blessed man does not stand in the path of sinners. And lastly, this blessed man does not sit in the seat of the scornful. When I look at those three things, as I have read this 
Scripture countless times, for some reason I thought of it always as if the writer is just simply being repetitive or being redundant or, or, or saying the same thing three different times, but I don't think that's the way it is. I think we see a progression here. We see a progression in this ungodliness that I want to talk about tonight. We see this progression that the writer, that the, the psalmist is trying to get us to understand. And when it comes to this ungodliness, these three different things, when it comes to walking in the counsel of the ungodly, when it comes to standing in the path of sinners, when it comes to sitting in the seat of the scornful, how many of us struggle with that on a daily basis? How many of us struggle walking in the counsel of the ungodly? I want you to see this progression the psalmist is laying out before us. He's talking about life as if it is a walk. He, you, you walk with the counsel of the ungodly. And as you are walking, you are listening and you are learning and, and you are hearing the things the ungodly are saying and you are learning from their experience and you are continuing to walk. You're continuing to walk with the counsel of the ungodly. Think about that. When you think about a walk, it, 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 it insinuates that you can go right or left, you can turn around, or, or, or you can keep going. But when it comes to this man, when it comes to this man, he does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. What happens when we walk in the counsel of the ungodly is clearly seen here in this text, the next step in the progression is you go from walking, you are walking, you are walking, you are walking, and it says standing. So you're no longer walking, you are, you are no longer on your walk with God, you have stopped in your tracks and you're standing. When you, when, when you stop, it doesn't give you the chance to turn around or to go right or to go left or to, to leave this, this, this ungodliness. You have stopped and stayed there. Psalmist says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners. And when you stand in the path of sinners, this, this, this isn't saying that you are committing the sin. Perhaps you're not committing the sin or, or, or you're not partaking in the sin. But that doesn't mean you're saying it's wrong either. That doesn't mean you're denouncing it either. And so when we think about this, we, we have to understand when it comes to walking with those who are in the counsel of the ungodly, we know better than to do that, don't we? We know better than to walk among this council of ungodliness. We know better than to continue walking along this path where, where all the people are trying to simply tear us down and, and bring us down to their level. We know that we should not associate with this evil, that we should not find pleasure, enjoyment, and laughter in these things that God hates. But when we walk with the counsel of the ungodly, we find ourselves in it anyway. We know that we should be walking hand in hand in the counsel of the righteous. We should be walking hand in hand with our brothers and sisters in Christ that can help lift us up, can, can help sharpen us. But we find ourselves walking with these ungodly people around us every day. We know that this, this world that we're walking with, these ungodly people that we're walking with, they're not going to give us wise counsel. We know that. We know that when we listen to the world and, and, and what the world says is right, we're not getting wise counsel. But yet we find ourselves listening to that counsel anyway. And we start to believe what the world's counsel is telling us, that's what's right. That's what I need to be doing. 
when we know better. And so when we start to listen to this, this counsel of the ungodly, that's when we stop. We stop walking for Christ and, and we stop moving forward in our walk with Him and, and we stand still. And that is when we lose the, the ability to discern what is wise. That's when we lose the ability to understand what we should do with our life. Again, we're not committing the sin at that point, perhaps, but we're not opposing it at the same time. We might not be practicing the ungodliness, but we are definitely not practicing righteousness. And then after a while, once you stand there in the path of sinners for long enough, once you stand there in the path of sinners long enough, and you're not moving, and you're not walking, and you're not focusing on what you should focus on, what happens next? What's the third thing he says? Sits in the seat of the scornful. You ever had a defiant child? I never did this because I wouldn't be here today if I had done this. But I've seen children all throughout Walmarts and other places. When they get upset enough, what do they do? Sit down. They just sit down out of defiance. If I can't get what I want, I'm just going to sit down right here and do what I want to do. And you're going to have to drag me along the way. My arm would have popped off if that had happened to me. You yanked up, right? But you see this all the time. This is what this man is being related to. He, he, he does not sit in the seat of the scornful. He does not look upon the situation and just say, in defiance, I'm going to sit right here and do and say whatever I want. That's the seat of the scornful. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is the man who does not stand in the, in the path of sinners. And Blessed is the man who does not sit the seat of the scornful. This is what the psalmist is saying. You, you should be happy in this faithfulness that you have, in this faith that you have not to do these things. You should be happy. You are blessed in doing that. Because this is what sin does to us. We are walking along our way and we stop, Think about it for a moment. Yep, I want it. Sit down. And we sit in that sin for no telling how long. James chapter 4 and verse 7 tells us, Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 22, it says, Abstain from every form of evil. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, Paul says, Abhor what is evil, cling to that which is good. That's what the Bible tells us to do. And that's what this blessed man does in Psalm chapter 1. He abstains from every form of evil, he resists the devil. And he clings to that which is good. And because of that, he is happy about it. He's blessed by it. He is not walking in the counsel of the ungodly. He's not standing in the, in, in the path of sinners. He's not sitting in the seat of the scornful. But what is he doing? What is he doing? Verse 3 tells us what he's doing. Verse 3 tells us, his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Growing up, I grew up in a small town. It's getting bigger every day. I uh, hear more and more things are coming to Athens, and it's just like, that's crazy. I remember we didn't have anything. But Huntsville's getting bigger, which means Athens getting bigger. Growing up, we had a, a local ice cream shop. 
store. I don't know what you'd call it. There was nothing at all special about this ice cream store. Now that I've gone and lived other places, nothing special. Jensie's smiling. When I took her on a date of Athens, this was one of the places I had to take her. I'm so excited for her to go to Cream Delight. That was the name of it. Cream Delight, spelled like cream, uh, Krispy Kreme with a K. That's why you know it's good. Cream Delight, okay? It even has the word delight in it. That means it, it's got to be good. So I take her to Cream Delight, and I'm like, how about that ice cream cone? Am I right? And she's like, it's ice cream. Yeah, it, it's, it's chocolate ice cream. You're right, Ben, it's, it's, it's ice cream. But to me, it was more than that. It was my childhood. I remember coming home from church. We didn't go out to eat much. We ate much, but we didn't go out to eat much. And going home from, from, from church, I can remember if we went straight after this light, that meant it's all she wrote. We're going home. We're having leftovers. I'm eating saltine crackers and cheese. You know what I'm saying? But if we turned left, that meant an endless possibility of Cracker Barrel, Cream Delight, uh, uh, the Mexican restaurant down the road. I mean, it was all up. It was all up from there if we turned left. And one of those turns left was Cream Delight. I can remember thinking about, man, I'm going to get this, this ice cream cone. I'm going to just bathe myself in it because of how much it would drip, how much it would ruin my clothes. Every single time, and I just loved this ice cream cone. When was the last time that you had that childlike delight in God's Word? When was the last time that, that, that you simply had that same delight in God's Word. When was the last time God's Word was what you found that pleasure in, what you found that peace in, what you fell in love with? When was the last time God's Word was what captivated your attention to the point you could not get enough of it? You see, for a lot of us, the answer to that is pretty sad. Some of us, we might not have ever felt that same delight. But for some of us, we have been so busy walking in the counsel of the ungodly. We've been so busy standing in the path of sinners. We've been so busy sitting in the seat of the scornful that we've had no time to delight in God's Word. We've had no time to, to take delight in God's Word. Too many of us are busy being sidetracked by this world to the point that we no longer have delight in the Word of the Lord. Because we can't delight in God's Word because we're too busy clinging and, and delighting in ourselves or delighting in the world, or delighting in everything else but godliness. We no longer find delight in the law because the law is burdensome. We no longer find delight in the Word of God because all we see is a set of rules we have to follow. We don't find delight in the law of the Lord because it's just another chore that we have to do each week. It's no longer something I can't pick put down it's something I hardly ever pick up that's where a lot of us are in our walk with God honestly if I'm going to answer that question honestly the last time I had this kind of delight in God's word was when I was a child When I was a child, I had such delight in God's Word because every single time I heard it, it was something new. Every single time I went to Bible class, I would be captivated by the stories that were told to me. 
and my imagination was able to, 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 to envision it. And I wasn't plagued by all of this sin. And I, I wasn't confused about, about all of this terribleness in the world. I was pure. All I cared about was learning about God. Not about what I looked like or what my image is or what my past was or who I could impress this day. All I cared about was learning about God. All I cared about was loving Jesus. But as you get older, the more you walk with the ungodly. As you get older, the more you stand in the path of sinners. As you get older, the more you sit in the seat of the scornful. Instead of finding delight in our passions, in our lust, in our sin, as children we find delight in learning about God. Perhaps that's why Jesus would say himself, in order to go to heaven we must become like these little children. Not in their immaturity or, or, or in, in their lack of knowledge, but in their purity. We must become like these little children in their love and their innocence. And if we did that, we would be a lot better off. The psalmist describes a man in this psalm who is so founded in his delight for the law of the Lord. It says he meditates on it both day and night. It reminds me of what Deuteronomy chapter 6. All the, the Hebrews would have to memorize Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 9. It's called the Shema. And they had to quote it every single day. It says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk about them when you go by the way, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you, when you rise up. They shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates talking about the law. That's the kind of, of, of meditation that this man is, is doing on the law. And it says, because, because he does not walk in this counsel of the ungodly or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful, he is able to delight in the law of the Lord instead. And when you delight in the law of the Lord, look at what the psalmist says it produces. Verse 3. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. Kyle's been teaching on Wednesday night a, a, a series of the life of Jesus. And in this series, he, he's been showing some pictures from time to time of, of what the landscape of the day would look like. And to me, it's just so... So true, such a real explanation that he uses of those who delight in the law of the Lord, he uses this imagery of a tree planted by water. Because the landscape of the day, could, could, it was desolate a lot of the places. A lot of places could only be described as desert, wilderness we read. But the psalmist uses this man who delights in the law of the Lord as if he is planted by rivers of water. And he gives us this, this, this idea to think about this tree connected to this water source. It has no need for any nutrients like this other tree that might be desolate and begging for it. The tree that is connected to the water is strong, it is fruitful, it is never going to wither away, and that cannot be said for any other tree. This same thing could be said, though, about followers of God today. Followers of God that are connected to the rivers of water of God's Word are strong, are fruitful, and they will have no end. However, the moment that we begin to disconnect from that Word and from that life-giving source, it's just a matter of time until we fade away into nothingness. That's exactly what he says in the, in the coming verses. Verse 4, The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. 
For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. He says the ungodly are not like this. Isn't it amazing the contrast that we see in these, these small six verses? We see this man who, who, who is so blessed, and he is this tree that is planted by the water and will never wither away. And then we see this contrast of the ungodly. And the ungodly is nothing but chaff. Because the ungodly is standing in the counsel of their own wisdom. The text tells, them, tells us that they will not stand in the judgment. If you spend your whole time standing in the, in, in, in the path of sinners, you're not going to be able to stand in the judgment. What a contrast. What, a, what, what imagery this psalmist uses in this psalm tonight. They are like chaff. Chaff that is that's completely at the will of the wind. Wherever the wind blows them, that is where they find themselves. Unfortunately, how many people do we know like that? How many people do we see on, on, on a daily basis who go wherever the wind blows? Their convictions, their beliefs, their... their their, their faith is based totally upon the external circumstances around them. If my friend is there, I'm going to go to that retreat in the youth group. If my friend is there, I'm going to go to, to, to that uh, uh, owl's dinner. It don't matter how old you are. We all do it. We all depend on, on other people for a source instead of depending on our own faith from time to time. And when we do that, we're just like this chaff that is simply at the will of the wind. We all know people who used to be faithful, who used to have convictions, who used to have beliefs, who used to believe in God, but now they have given it all up and become enslaved to tolerance at the expense of truth. They used to bear fruit for the kingdom, but now they're finding themselves going wherever the wind blows. They may have been faithful at once, but now they're driven by the wind. The question is, what happened? We know what happened. Their delight stopped being the word of the Lord. How easy is it for us tonight to... to Think to ourselves, I'm the Sunday night crowd. This doesn't apply to me. I'm not driven by the wind. If I was, I wouldn't be here tonight. Listen to you. Some of us start to think that way. That, that, that we are exempt from this lesson. I am exempt from this lesson because I have studied so, oh, oh, these many years. But the fact of the matter is, all of us are this close from time to time to being just like that chaff, blown to and fro by the wind. Any of us are susceptible to losing our delight in the law. If you, if you tonight know for a fact that you are not driven by the wind and, and your delight is in the law of the Lord and, and you hold on to this with every fiber of your being and you study it every day, praise God. Praise the Lord for that. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're talking about tonight. Having our delight in the law. But I think if we're being more vulnerable and honest with ourselves tonight, I think all of us... I think I know I would have to confess. I need to improve my delight in the law of the Lord. Because sometimes, even as a minister, sermons get tiring, lessons get tiring. Constantly adding 
this pressure and this stress and, and this another brick to your load to carry, that gets tiring. Writing another article that, that is supposed to impact people, that, that gets tiring. And I'm sure you get tired from time to time of listening to such long sermons. I'm sure you get tired of, of reading such long articles. I'm sure you get tired of, of, of all the things that we get tired of. But some of us are not only tired, some of us have completely lost our delight in the law. Perhaps that's why there's still some empty seats. People who used to be here. I think if we're going to be honest and vulnerable tonight with ourselves, we have to admit our delight in God's Word can be better. It should be better. And it should be something we fix before it's too late. Because, verse 6, The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Ultimately, when it comes to your delight, you can fool all the people here on earth. You can fool me. You can fool the elders. You can fool your friends. You can fool your family. You can fool your spouse. But ultimately, if your delight is not where it should be, there's one person you can't fool. And that's God. God knows where your delight is, and He knows where you're getting your source of water. And if it's not His Word, He knows. He says He knows the way of the righteous, and He knows the way of the ungodly. And just like that chaff that is useful for nothing, the way of the ungodly, he says, leads to perishing. No matter how good you can mask it or how good you can fake it, there's coming a day where you can't do that anymore. It's like that apple that's in the fridge. And it looks good when you open up. The once a year you eat an apple. And you grab that apple, and it looks good, and it looks good for eating. And then you turn it around, and it's totally spoiled. Good for nothing. Some of us live our lives that way. Some of us think that that's enough. But if our delight is not in God's Word, the rest of it is useless. Tonight, as you look at yourself, you have to ask the question, where is your delight? You have to ask yourself the question, what do I delight in? Do I take delight in God's Word? Am I connected to, to the rivers of water that, that make me able to prosper in whatever I do because God is on my side? Or have you lost that delight? Have you lost that delight you once had in God's Word? You've lost that love you had for the church, that love you had for brothers and sisters, and you're simply like the chaff one strong wind away from being blown away we have some people like that in this room tonight it's my prayer that you get that right because if the last couple of years have taught us anything there's some winds blowing there's some winds coming and if we're not delighting in the Word of God, we're not going to be able to stand. Tonight, why don't you make that right? Why don't you confess that, that you're struggling, like the psalmists do, that they are struggling with all of the trials and tribulations and suffering and all the temptations that are going on in their life. Why don't you have the faith or the courage to, to admit that tonight? 
I know that this lesson has challenged me. I hope it has challenged you, and I hope someone will have the courage to come connect to that river of water as together we stand and sing for your encouragement. Oh, not bro.